This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Bipolar disorder affects almost 6 million adult Americans and is the sixth cause of disability in the world, with one in five of these patients committing suicide. Well, here with more on this powerful disease and what can be done to treat it is Dr. Tom Schwartz, professor of psychiatry and the vice chairman in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Schwartz. Thanks for coming in. Great. Thanks for having me. So bipolar disorder, formerly known as manic depression, is it on the rise or is it that we just seem to know more about it and perhaps are more uh, are earlier at diagnosing it? Well, I think the classic form of uh, bipolar disorder that you probably see the most on TV and movies and the papers, that's held pretty static at about 1%, so one out of 100. I do think the milder forms we're detecting, diagnosing, so it may appear like it's on the rise. We may just be better at finding it and treating it. So what? let's help us understand when you say the classic one or the, the standard form. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What is, what, are, what is the definition of bipolar disorder? So I, I think bipolarity means you can be on two sides of the spectrum. Uh, classically, we can identify people who are depressed. They're sad, they're amotivated, they lose interest and enjoyment in things, their energy is low, so, sometimes they're suicidal. That's, those are the classic symptoms of major depressive disorder. And, and that would be one pole, one half of bipolarity. Now, to make the diagnosis, you don't have to have depression, but a majority of people uh, who are bipolar will. The more hallmark side is the mood elevation. People are extra happy, hyper, energetic. They don't need sleep and they wake up refreshed. They're, they get a lot of accomplished in, in a small amount of time. And that really is sustained over several days or more for most people. And it's clearly a change in, in people's personality. So the key is you can be mood elevated, you know, really excited, really happy. And it's you're a different person. And everybody around you will notice that. And the key here is, I would say, at least seven days. It's not just a mood swing because something good happened to you, like you won $500 in a lottery scratch-off. I mean, this is you're high and happy for no good reason. My patients will actually say it's very similar to, like, doing cocaine or speed or too much coffee without those. You're, it's a kind of more of a natural high for no good reason. And it just gets severe and, and interferes with your life would be the other part. Do you also see things in that manic phase like grandiosity and maybe a, a lack of reality check? Mm-hmm. I think it can get to be that severe in any illness, any disease, whether it's diabetes, blood pressure, or bipolar disorder. You have milder versions, and you have the more severe, kind of more detrimental versions. Yeah, I think people can look schizophrenic, where they have delusions, they're paranoid, they're grandiose, maybe they think they have special powers. Uh, and you do see that kind of thing on TV more often. That's the more severe end of the disorder. And I read somewhere that people can do things like have spending sprees, mm-hmm. you know, again, this kind of loss of check of reality. Yeah, I think where the disorder gets dangerous is that kind of uh, grandiose, I'm invincible. And if you don't have $5,000, people go and spend it. Uh, they'll max out their credit cards. They'll have to file bankruptcy. They feel they can drive their you know, kind of little economy car 180 miles an hour and not have to do stop signs. It's that level of I'm invincible. Uh, we see people um, start having sexual encounters and get uh, sexually transmitted diseases because I'm invincible. Uh, so people do make bad decisions, and, and that is a level when it's 
delusional it is a psychotic process like schizophrenia and people really aren't aware of what they're doing which, which makes this illness tough sometimes so who generally is most at risk for this i mean is there a gender bias of any kind or what what do we see in the the classic what we call bipolar type one that's the classic textbook manic depression it's about a one percent illness again and it's an equal opportunity men versus women it doesn't matter what your gender is I would say there's a you know 50 to 80 percent genetic component. If this runs rampant in your family, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, uh, you certainly can inherit the genes or the genetics like any other disorder. And I think that you know lends to it as well. And sometimes it just happens for no good reason. That's just the way it is. So what is the natural course of events? I mean, what's the age of onset? When do you first start seeing this kind of pattern emerge? I mean, do you start seeing it very early in the life of a child, for example, or does it happen generally in adulthood? I think when I trained 15, 16 years ago, we were told the, the bipolar disorder starts maybe in the late 20s, and that's when you see the manias. If you, it, It's kind of been reconfigured now. Many people develop anxiety and depression in their late teens, and they don't have that first manic episode maybe till their mid to late 20s. So the disorder, in my mind, probably starts in your teens, but you can't tell yet. It looks like depression or anxiety until later. So if you think of it, it's probably brewing from your late teenage years. And uh, again, then the first time you have a manic-type episode, one of those mood-elevated episodes, now you have the disorder. I, I do think we've made some strides. There certainly are some children and teenagers that clearly go through those manias and hi uh, hyperspells, but it's harder to diagnose. Kids do have more mood swings. They're, they're not grown-ups. They're harder to ask these yes or no questions and, and make a definitive diagnosis. So there is some early onset bipolar, but, it, but it's, I think it's harder to detect. But do you ever see mania in the absence of depression? I guess that's the question, because yeah. what I'm gathering from what you're yeah. saying is that the hallmark of this bipolarity is the mania. Yeah. But my question is, is there, a, and clearly the mm -hmm. depression is, can exist independently because yeah. we know there's depressive disorder. So. Yeah, so some interesting facts. I would say 10% of bipolar patients are ones that never have depression. They only get the manias. And the other kind of fact is it's actually the depressions. Um, in general, bipolar patients will spend more time depressed than they ever do manic. The manic episodes are destructive, robust, easy to detect, and, and they do hurt your life. You know, you end up in a psychiatric hospital, in a bankruptcy court, in jail for some of the impulsive behaviors. But it's the depression you have more times than not that nickel and dimes you with disability, can't hold a job. And it maybe the depression's there for eight months, the mania is there for two weeks. So the burden of illness is actually more in the depressed state. Uh, which, which, again, I think you have to be good at treating that and the high part as well. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with psychiatrist Dr. Tom Schwartz, and we're talking about bipolar disorder. So how do we know? I mean, we've been just talking about, um, you know, the different hallmarks and the different symptomatology that you find. How do you actually diagnose it? I mean, is it a diagnosis? There's no blood tests these days or brain images that can tell you. Right. I don't think we're at the point where we can do a, a brain image or a genetic test or a blood test yet. I, I think eventually we get there. But for now, it really is interviewing a patient, talking to friends and family, getting a whole history. And we tend to do things in psychiatry with what I'll call the laundry list approach. There's a list of symptoms you look for. If you meet enough of those symptoms and it interferes with your life, you, you now have a disorder. 
So we would look for patients to gradually go into a mania spell. It's seven days or more. And in my experience, it's usually a few weeks or more. And we look for increases in distractibility, racing or rapid thoughts, racing or rapid speech. We look for that grandiosity that we spoke of. Uh, people who have these uh, hyperactivity spells where they can actually get a lot done and uh, they don't need sleep, they wake up refreshed, um, their personality really changes. And of those several symptoms, we'd like to see you know, four or five of them. And if it's severe enough and interfering with your life, now you have a, a treatable condition. So what diseases could be mistaken for bi bipolarity? Because there was some allusion to the fact that maybe we're either under or over-diagnosing it. Yeah, like most things in psychiatry, I think there's a fair amount of people we fail to diagnose, and when we diagnose them, we undertreat them. The doses of the medicines or psychotherapy are too low. So there's one aspect of we still need to do a better job. And then sometimes we overdiagnose and we give somebody the wrong diagnosis, and that's equally bad, and we're over-medicating or wrongfully medicating folks too. The bipolar um, dilemma is when somebody comes into your office with mood swings, so what are mood swings? So as I mentioned, being bipolar means you need a sustained mania, mood elevated, extra happy event. and At least one of those events. Yeah, and, and several days. And so if somebody comes in with a day of a mood swing, you have to decide, is it because something good happened to you? Uh, sometimes people are on drugs, you know, cocaine, crystal meth. Um, I've seen people on too much coffee sometimes look a little bit towards the milder end. So I think drug abuse, drug intoxication is one of the key things. The other thing is, frankly, personality. And we all have different personalities. Uh, some people are robots and have very little emotions. If you like that analogy, they can be happy, sad, and you can't really tell. And other people have way too many emotions, and they're angry one minute and yelling, they're sad and crying the next, they're grandiose and full of themselves the following hour or day. A lot day. of lability yeah. change. And that's a personality style, and sometimes that's called borderline personality, histrionic personality. People with narcissism, narcissistic personality, they're naturally kind of grandiose, but they don't have the other manic symptoms. So in my practice, there's a lot of people that come to me saying they were diagnosed as bipolar, but as you get to know them, they really have mood swings from their personality. That's very interesting. Yeah. And, and it's the first time I've actually heard someone say that. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that it's um, until we really understand some of these things in terms of the neurochemistry and what really creates these kinds of disease entities in human beings, there's got to be a very, very, almost like a continuum that, that we're, making an, uh, we're making kind of an arbitrary statement, this is a disease. Yeah. But there's just so much variety in the way the human being yeah. can function. Yeah, I think so. And, and what's critical in, I think, making a diagnosis, particularly in, in bipolar disorder, is if you can get permission to meet with family members, spouses, kids, parents, bosses, clergy member. Again, most people don't want to disclose their, their mental health issues, but it is a tricky diagnosis. And what makes it even harder is when people are manic, they actually tend not to remember. So they can spend all their money, get in trouble, and, and it, the tough part of the illness is they don't remember. You can be interviewing somebody, asking all these perfect questions to make a perfect diagnosis, and they look at you and say, no, that's never happened to me. Wow. But if their spouse is sitting next to them, the spouse will be nodding their heads and saying, no, that's happened three times. And I don't think you know the patients are lying. I, it's unfortunately an illness of poor insight. Mm. The other place where I do think patients will not want to admit that they've had manic or what we call hypomanic episodes, which are a little less severe, is they feel good. 
when you've been depressed for eight months and you elevate into a semi-good or above-good mood, some people actually don't want to tell you because they don't want that taken away. So it's very easy to make a, a misdiagnosis. It's a tough illness. I want to get to treatment. Um, mm -hmm. What I know that medications are on the forefront. Let's mm -hmm. just do a quick overview. What are the kinds of medications that you find most effective? So for treating mania, the high spells, there really is not a psychotherapy that can talk somebody down. You will have to use medications. Lithium is the classic. Um, Divalproex Proex is an epilepsy medicine, which is also a classic. We use that to lower mania. In many of our schizophrenia medicines, we call them the, the antipsychotics, the, um, the atypical antipsychotics. There's 10 or 11 of them. Half of them are approved for stopping mania. So mania is almost always um, uh, a treatment with a medication. The depressed half, uh, psychotherapy works great. You may not need medications for that. Outside of that, the difficulty with medications are they can trigger more manias. So we try to avoid the more classic antidepressants. And, and sometimes we the schizophrenia medicines, again, I'd say three or four of them are approved for bipolar depression. They can stop the mania. They can stop the depression maybe in one pill. So they sound like big league schizophrenia medicines, but they are effective for mania, schizophrenia, depression, et cetera. They... And again, because they work, mm -hmm. we obviously need to use them, but yeah. it would be so interesting if someday in our lifetimes we have an, a clearer understanding of how it is they work and yeah. what it is they're doing. Absolutely. And I think the other treatment is holding a schedule. Don't get sleep deprived. Don't pull an all-nighter. Don't drink extra caffeine. Don't do drugs. You don't want to do things that trigger the next mania. So I think there are um, supportive and lifestyle things that actually can minimize some of your, your mania spells too. And consistency of care, I would think you would really need to remain under the care of somebody mm -hmm. like yourself who really mm -hmm. can help yeah. monitor and keep you kind of mm -hmm. Absolutely. stable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, very interesting, very enlightening, and very hopeful, I think. So these people really can function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, there's a spectrum, but again, stay in treatment. People do better and better over time, and, and, and that's the key to this disorder is to, to try to stop it. Very, very helpful and very interesting, and, and thanks so much for coming in and sharing your expertise with us. My guest has been Dr. Tom Schwartz, professor of psychiatry and the vice chairman in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.